Morning Glory and Evening Grace America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. It's that last hour of the radio week, the hour of the Hillsdale Dialogue that I know many of you look forward to and to my new audiences across the United States. You're in for a treat because never actually has a Hillsdale hour been so well-timed between what's going on in the world around us and the ancient book that we are reading or the classical work that we're reading. We're in the middle of Machiavelli's The Prince, and I am joined by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, Professor Will Morrissey, Dr. Morrissey on the faculty at Hillsdale College. Uh, At the beginning, I'll note that all of the Hillsdale dialogues that go back to January of 2013, weekly dialogues, are available at hugh4hillsdale.com. And that Hillsdale, uh, many offerings are all available at hillsdale.edu. Professor Morrissey, Dr. Arn, always good to talk to you both. Good to talk to you, Hugh. Now, here's the backdrop to our conversation. There is a power struggle underway in the House Republican Conference, and there is a recently conquered state coming apart at the seams in Iraq. Uh, The prince applicable to either of those, Dr. Arn? (laughs) Well, you... You could say that the prince is blasphemous, and Al-Qaeda probably doesn't like that. But the methods proposed, um, uh, so there's that joke they used to say about Nixon. You know, people would criticize Nixon that they they uh, they liked his ends, but they couldn't bear his means. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, St- Stan Evans, a great guy, used to say, uh, I didn't like his ends very much, but you had to like his means. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, there's a... I mean, I don't know if it's a Machiavellian struggle that's going on in the for the leadership positions in the House of Representatives, but it surely is in Iraq. And that's what I'm going to start with uh, the House and go to Iraq. But Dr. Morrissey, before that, because you have to kind of jump ahead. to ch- I, I, We're going to spend a lot of time on chapters three through eight today, but I want to jump ahead to chapter eight where he talks for the first time about virtu and, and, uh, and referred to in some places as ability and others talent. What is virtu? Virtu is the is an ability, all right. It's an ability to acquire acquire political power essentially. Um, the 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 great moral revolution that Machiavelli gives you is you can see it right in the first few books of the prince where he classifies political societies in a new way. You recall Aristotle had his regime, his regime classification. There was a quantitative uh, uh, element to it, the one, the few, and the many. But there was also a moral element, the good or the bad. So the one rule of the bad was a tyrant. The, one, the rule of the one that is good is a king or queen. The rule of the bad that is uh, the few is the oligarchy, which is just the rich trying to squeeze the poor. The good rule of the few is an aristocracy, which is the rule of the few who are really outstandingly virtuous, etc. What Machiavelli does is to redo regime theory. What he says, the very first, the very first, uh, the title of the very first chapter is how many are the kinds of principalities. That's an Aristotelian characteristic, right? The, The numerical one, and in what modes they are acquired. Yep. That is different because acquisition is, is essentially covetousness or the ability, what virtu is, is the ability to acquire. Now, he says in Chapter 3, the desire to acquire things is very natural and ordinary. Yeah. 
And when men who can do so are successful, they will always be praised and not blamed. Mm-hmm. So those who are successful in getting power, the those with their two are going to get thumbs up from everyone. But he's also warning us, right? Your your reach might exceed your 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 grasp. Yes, you have to be you, you have to be a lion with a great appetite and ferocity, but you also have to be a fox, which means you have to be clever. And you, as you say, your reach can't uh, exceed your grasp. So uh, if you if you do that, then you're a fool. So, Doctor Arn, you know the members of the House Republican Conference quite well. I don't want you to name any of them, but who are there? Many people are there. Many foxes running around and many lions, or are there just a lot of people who think they're playing foxes and lions? Uh, ooh, well, there aren't very many of them. So how am I going to answer that question? Um, uh, let's, uh, to to analyze what's going on here, it's actually better to break out of Machiavellian mm-hmm. thought. It is true. Uh, let me start this way. Uh, I used to wonder a long time ago when I was young and I had acquired a considerable part of my education, I used to wonder, what are people in politics good at? And I would begin to wonder that because I didn't meet very many living in California at the time and coming to Washington a lot who actually knew a lot of the things that I knew. Like, you know, I, you know Will and I can tell you roughly what's in the Federalist Papers from memory. <laughs> and you don't really meet anybody in politics who can do that. No, no, and, you don't. And, a few, so but not many. What, what are they good at? And, and one night, I, with a bunch of California legislators, I had a, had a long talk. Some of them friends of mine, people I like to this day. And they got to talking about elections. They were all really good at that. They knew about direct mail, and they knew about precincts, and they, in other words, they knew the things that had got them where they were. And, uh, and so that's kind of Machiavellian, right? They, they had acquired something. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were good at that. And, uh, and, you know, politicians tend to be tough, and they have to be because it, uh, you, you get your hide stripped off. So, yeah, in that sense, sure, they're good at that. Uh, I wouldn't say that the people in the Republican leadership are people who are without conscience at all or uh, willing to do wrong to get power. Uh, and, you know, with, with Machiavelli, it takes something more than willing to do wrong to get power. You've got to be willing to do really big wrongs, and you've got to be, able to, you've got to be willing not to regard them as wrong if they are successful. Now, I had dinner earlier this week with a very experienced Washington hand who had a particular animus towards Chuck Schumer, a, a deep animus towards Chuck Schumer because of wrongs inflicted by Schumer upon this individual's interests. Nevertheless, he understood Schumer to be tremendously talented at what he did. And so do we have anyone like that? Do we have anyone who knows how to actually run the place to achieve ends? Uh, well, uh, there's a weakness uh, I can cite that's pretty general. Um, you know, you you have to break out of the Machiavellian mode, in my opinion, to analyze. Um, you know, my models are not Machiavelli. Machiavelli is somebody you need to know a lot about, <laughs> but uh, not to follow exactly. You just have to be prepared for a lot of people around you to be following him. So what what I think they need to do that they're not very good at is they need to learn to be adamant in principle 
and flexible in practice. And they tend to be divided into two groups. Uh, there's the flexible in practice and the adamant in principle, and they never come together. Never. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, everything you do, I mean, study Winston Churchill, study Abe Lincoln, study George Washington, study James, study any very successful politician, and, and I, I just name people I regard as great ones, everything they do is a compromise. And, you know, in life, everything we do is a compromise. You know, we, we want it to be so, and it's never fully so, and so we're always getting the best good that's available. And that discourages some people in the leadership, in my experience, from stating what they're really trying to do. And I, I think, maybe subconsciously, but who am I to be a spokesman for their subconscious? I, I think that there's a reluctance to state their principles because they know they're going to have to compromise them. And, a, and a, a healthier way is to state them and compromise them and call it a compromise. And I think that there would be more unity among them, the whole bunch of them, if they cultivated that knack. I mean, I think, for example, my experience is the Republican conference, to a person, is keen to appeal, repeal Obamacare. And, and you know, they, they accuse each other often of not being for that. But if the people who are accused of that could state better the deep principled reasons why they favor that, they would be better believed. Now, now they are not in a hurry to do that, though, and is that a lack of virtu? Well, it, some of them, there, there are politicians in Washington who are, you know, when you get in the leadership, by the way, you tend to be pretty ambitious. And, uh, there are plenty of people in politics in Washington, D.C. For them, it's uh, kind of like a sinecure. They got a cool job. There's a lot of honor in it. It pays pretty well. There are people like that, sure, and that very much is un-Machiavellian. <laughs> those are the kind of Machiavelli, those are the figures who appear in Machiavelli who are always doing what the prince tells them. And when we come back, we're going to go back then to what happens when places like Iraq really do explode into contests between people who really are Machiavelli and don't go anywhere. Professor Will Morrissey, Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College are my guests on this, the Hillsdale Dialogue. Stay tuned. 21 minutes after the hour, America, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back to the Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. Professor Will Morrissey, one of his colleagues on the faculty at Hillsdale College. We do the Hillsdale Dialogue once a week to complete the radio week. It's always the third hour on Friday. And then they are posted over at uh, HughForHillsdale.com, and they're available at at uh, a, a banner at HughHewitt.com, or you can go directly to Hillsdale.edu and enjoy the conversation there. But today we're talking about Machiavelli, and Professor Morrissey, uh, in the backdrop is Iraq falling apart. And it's a country recently conquered, and it's a country poorly administered by those who conquered it, the Shia, and it, now it's going, uh, it, it's just fallen apart into a complete and utter state of catastrophe. As you read chapters three, four, five, six, seven, aren't there echoes there of what he suggests will happen when weak people take over big states? Yes, there are. And um, here's another thing that is key. I, I was mentioning his revolution, Machiavelli's revolution, and the idea of what a regime is. There's another way of classifying political communities with, with respect not to the one, the few, and the many, and that sort of thing, but with respect to the degree of centralization 
and the size of the political community. Right. Let's call it the state or the polity, whatever word you want to use. What, what Aristotle was seeing was these small centralized states, let's call them city-states. Machiavelli saw them, too. We were talking about that last time, the 12 or so city-states that existed in Italy. They also saw empires, great, big, de- relatively decentralized entities, but very large. Feudalism kind of combined the two. You had uh, medium-sized uh, political communities with uh, uh, pieces of authority uh, uh, decentralized within them. You had aristocrats, and you had the churches, and so on. What Machiavelli wants is something that's as big as a feudal state, but centralized like a polis. And that's what he calls il stato, the state. And he says explicitly that um, the French don't understand the state, meaning they have allowed a powerful foreigner, namely the Pope, to gain undue influence in their state. What you've got in Iraq, to apply it to Iraq, is a country whose borders were drawn to be part of an empire, That is to say, they were drawn around three different peoples who would, the imperialists figured, be at each other's throats so that the the imperialists would be indispensable. That's one of Machiavelli's uh, precepts, that you have to make yourself, the prince, indispensable to those whom you rule. Uh, Go ahead. so, So what they did is to, once that country became independent, there was no longer a, an outside force, an emperor, running it. And so you, the three pieces started uh, fighting each other. And that's what you have today. You have the Kurds, you have the Sunni Arabs, and you have the uh, Shia Arabs. Maybe even four, because you have two kinds of Sunni Arabs, those yeah. that are traditional and those who are radicalized. Oh, well, that's a regime difference, you yeah. see. But uh, I'm talking just about a state difference. State. Even so, you yeah. see what I'm saying. I do, and I, and I see that... that Every error that Machiavelli told his uh, the prince not to make has been made there. And and uh, Larry Arn, I, I you know this. Uh, President Bush used to bring conservatives in and tell them, uh, as he did you, as he did me, how hard he was working to teach Maliki how to be a prime minister. In fact, one day he had talk radio hosts in after he just finished a teleconference with Maliki, saying, "I spend an hour a, a week with the guy trying to teach him how to be a." you know, how to run a country. And yeah. uh, and Maliki, interesting enough, it doesn't sound that different from Machiavelli, is anything but Machiavelli right now, is he? Yeah. And see, uh, remember about Machiavelli, when we turn to the world of war, Machiavelli, one of the things that's going on in him is that war and politics become synonyms in Machiavelli. Yep. Po- politics is the art of war. And sure enough, if you're fighting people who are trying to kill you, I, mean, I think I said last week that Churchill's wife wrote about him that on, to, to the prime minister, only Winston has the deadliness to fight the Germans. These guys are mean, and they kill people. Yep. And they mean to conquer large parts of the world and have the rest hold them in awe, and they say that all the time. And so, you know, you're up against something like that, and then you're in that incredibly complex situation over there that you and Will were just describing. You need somebody, if you're going to be involved at all, and if, you, if you're not going to be involved somehow now, you're going to be involved later, maybe on less favorable conditions, 
you need to be a little like Machiavelli there, because this is war. Right now, and, and a, a regime, a, a group so bad, they are marching on Samara with the purposes of destroying religious shrines so as to incite religious hatred, so as to incite basically genocide, Is uh, Will. So we are talking about people who are playing Machiavelli for real. It's not just a classroom text. They're trying to kill as many people as they can. If, um, you know, I, I, I by the way, I, I don't really think that, Obama is weak. I think he's just got his mind on something else, that something else happens to be us. Uh, I think John Kerry is probably a pretty foolish guy. I think he sits down and has conversations with people in the Middle East, included in, in Russia, where he doesn't really hear what they're saying to him. <laughs> you know, he doesn't know people like that, I guess. And, uh, um, so it's and you know it's 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 easy and comfortable if you want to go win some victories to beat up on the Israelis, but you know that because they have a relationship with us and some dependency on us, and because in some important respects they're like us. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know they like if if you're an Arab and you want to write a newspaper article and not be put in prison for it, it's best to write it in Israel. And uh, so, you know, there's that going on, right? We, we, they're reading Machiavelli and the stuff that Machiavelli has princes do as the prime virtue of, of uh, politics. Those are war measures. When, and, uh, when I come back from break, I want to go through the errors people make when they take over countries. But, but, but before I go there, I want to go back, Professor Morrissey, to your comment that Machiavelli made in Chapter 3. He, he made a big mistake, France he thought, made a big mistake by letting the church in. Is there he just referring to a particular pope at a particular time, or is he talking about religious rule? He's talking about, uh, especially, well, he's talking about genuinely religious rule in the Christian sense. He certainly is not against using religion in order to rule. He'd be all for having a, uh, a state-established church, the way you have in Russia right now, where basically uh, Putin and his people control the Russian Orthodox Church. That's a different story. He'd be all for that. Um, he probably he does. He has very few things bad to say about uh, Islam. You notice in his books, uh, the use of religion is just fine with him. What he doesn't want is a genuine spiritual religion, um, uh, interfering with uh, the practice of virtu. Again, the notion of acquisition. Think of the Tenth Commandment, the most spiritual of the commandments, because it's the, the one that tells you to do, not to do something, but to be, not to be something, not to be covetous, not to be acquisitive. And when we come back from break, we'll return to that point with Professor Will Morrissey, Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College. We're in Chapters 3 through 8 of The Prince. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue on The Hugh Hewitt Show. 34 minutes after the hour, America, it's Hugh Hewitt with Professor Will Morrissey of Hillsdale College and Dr. Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College. Uh, I want to go to the six errors people make when they take over countries and see how they apply to what happened to us in Iraq and our Iraq misadventure. And would you agree, Dr. Arn, it is a misadventure at this point? Oh yeah, and well, Professor Morrissey. Yeah. Um, see, I, I'm I'm not prepared to say that until after it's totally gone a cropper, but it's getting there in a hurry. Uh, the the last segment, though, 
during the, our break, I, I was thinking, Dr. Arn, you deflected my question about whether or not Republicans have the skill set to handle people like Chuck Schumer. And you brought up perhaps craftily that they've got their own John Kerry's. And so they're not all masters of the game. But do the Republicans have people with skill sets equal to the challenge of actually going up against folks who are Harry Reid-like in their lack of scruples? Not lately. Um, You know, there's some young ones that I have hope for. And, you know, my way of thinking about these things is it takes a certain kind of skill and it takes some ruthlessness, but also it takes a, a consistent devotion to some principles, right? And the ability to make those work. And you don't always, you never realize them fully, but they're always a guide and you have to be able to talk about them, in my opinion. But I have a very different model about it all than Machiavelli. The part that I agree with is that part about the skill. You know, they, these, like, you know, the, the, there are many people in politics today, left and right, and the ones on the left are in the ascendant right now, and they're very numerous, and they're very ruthless people, and they're very good at causing trouble to people they want to cause trouble to. Yeah. And, 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 and we're not so good at even calling it out. Now, back to, to Machiavelli. Professor Mor- Morrissey, he said Louis, when he invaded Italy, made five mistakes, six, really. He destroyed minor powers. He increased the power in Italy of one who already was powerful. He brought a very powerful foreigner into the country. He didn't go to live in Italy. He didn't send any colonies. And he took uh, one state away from the Venetians. Now, that's just sort of a catalog of dumb things, Um do, do the same dumb things occur all the time when there are cocked-up situations? Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good typology of dumb things, that's for sure. Um, um, there, there's also, I, I just think, though, that in Iraq especially, it's, the, it's, it's a problem of the state. In other words, uh, it's, it's, an Ill, the, the, it's not so much even a problem of the regime. It's the state that is incoherent. And um, the powerful foreigner has now, that that was able to unify the country in the first half part of the century is, is gone, and so the, you've got these, these, these people at each other's throats. Uh, Dr. Arn, Chapter 5 could have been given to George Bush, I suppose, at the beginning of Iraq. It says, as I have said, when those states are acquired that are used to living under their own laws and freedom, there wasn't freedom there, but they had their own laws, there are three ways of holding on to them. The first is to destroy them. The second is to go and live there in person. And the third is to allow them to live under their own laws. We chose a fourth way, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And see, there's an argument. Um, you know, I, I, I was not of the view that we should set up a government in Iraq. And uh, I, I'm amazed at how well they did doing that, by the way. But the problems have all come from that. I thought Iraq had committed offense against, offenses against us, having made a treaty with us not to do it. The, the steps are simple. Iraq attacked Kuwait. If Kuwait appealed for help, we were entitled to go help them if we found it in our interest, and we did. And then in order to stop fighting with Iraq, because we were blowing them away, they made a series of commitments to us, and they broke those commitments. Right. And that means we could go punish them again if we wanted to. And that's what I thought at the time. And, you know, there isn't any good thing to do, by the way, in all of this. It's, it's a very difficult part of the world, and there's a lot of dangers there. But I would have done something more like what we did the first time, except more ruthless, and uh, called for that at the time and argued with some people in authority that that was a good idea. 
And they weren't willing to do that uh, because they had higher motives. <laughs> there might be a lesson in Machiavelli about that. Yeah. They thought they they thought um, the people in Iraq want freedom. Let's give it to them. And I said, okay, but it's complicated. And they said, well, they want it. And I would say, goodness, read the Federalist Papers. It takes more than that. And so the, the, the thing is, the first step is, are you going to go there? And I will tell you that Winston Churchill, with his sidekick, Lawrence of Arabia, was involved in the establishment of Iraq. I was about he, to bring that up. In, in but fact, he didn't want to stay there. He got out. Hold that thought. That's where we're going to come back for our last segment this week, Chapter 5 of Machiavelli's The Prince and the current chapter in Iraq playing out on CNN in front of you with a half million refugees surging south and incredible levels of violence in a Rwanda-like genocide in the offing. Stay tuned, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. 44 minutes after the hour, America. Wrap up this week's Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. And you can read all about the college at hillsdale.edu including about all of their wonderful uh, faculty, including Professor Will Morrissey, their Machiavelli scholar, who joins us today as well. Uh, We went to break. I was being a little gloomy, talking about the fact that uh, this weekend we'll probably see incredible horrors out of Iraq because many forces are rushing at each other, and we're standing back from it. And we went to break, Dr. Arn, you were pointing out that Churchill went there, drew the lines, but he didn't want to stay. We went there kept the lines, tried to get everyone to get along, actually achieved it, and then we left because we are a feckless democracy and we can't do anything for very long. Well, that's right. And, and you know, you, you know, there's some rules of warfare in democracy that Churchill favored, and that was, you know, first of all, you should be reluctant to go to war for a discretionary war. You should try to f- prevent the big ones, too. When you're in it, fight it to win. And you don't want to spend a fortune on it and have it drag on forever. And that's and there's something inherent in the liberal regime. By that, I mean the, the regime of freedom, where people have a private life and, and they can function you know, to build a life for themselves. And that is, you're not living in Sparta, and you don't want war to be a constant state. And Churchill understood that profoundly. And, you know, we went over there, and it was, took a long time, and, the, and, the, and people got tired of it. And it came to look, and, you know, by the way, I don't fault George Bush, the younger, you know, his character was splendid, and he was very firm in doing all this, and his attentions were really good. You know, Machiavelli would sneer at that comment. But, you know, it... it it looked like a welfare program for Iraq, and people got tired of it. And uh, you know, there what, what what do we get? And he talked about that a lot. Uh, I went back and looked at his speeches, but that message didn't get through. And uh, so, uh, you know, it it you know, I I, I don't I, I am very reluctant to write off Iraq as you are, Hugh, because so much has been spent there by us and the Iraqis have so much at stake and they, and many of them have proved themselves right people wishing to live in freedom and our friends the Kurds and they are our friends have taken advantage of the opportunity to seize Kirkuk which with all the oil and they're building themselves a, a friendly state out of this we get some ally out of it but Dr. Morrissey at the end of chapter 5 where we conclude 
this is what confounds. He's, Machiavelli says, look, it's easier to take over a dictatorship than a republic. Uh, take over a dictatorship, they'll just switch dictators. But you take over a republic, there there's greater life and thus greater hatred and more desire for vengeance. That didn't turn out to be the case where we, we got rid of Saddam, but it actually, they, they weren't happy to take on a new, less terrible dictator. They just broke apart. Yeah, that's the state problem. And, of course, we weren't taking over a republic. We were taking over a tyranny. Um, but uh, the, the, uh, um, the, the, Kurds, the Kurds have done well. It's a, a very interesting comparative question. Why is it that the Kurds have done better under republicanism, under this re- new regime, than any of the other, the other two groups? I don't know. You know, that's a fascinating... Christopher Hitchens, when he was alive and used to be a regular guest on this show, used to always urge, as did our friend John Agresto, Mm-hmm. Always used to go to Kurdistan. You'll love Kurdistan. Kurdistan's like going to, to, to Texas. It's, you know, it's just a different place, but it's fun. And why is that, Arn? Why do you think? <laughs> Agresto tried to get me to go to Kurdistan. I know. He tried to get everyone to go to Kurdistan. <laughs> well, apparently, Kurdistan is great. I, we, we've had a student go teach over there, maybe two, and, uh, and came back with glowing reports. And uh, the, one, the one girl named Phillips did that. And... Uh, yeah, I th- you know, there's something, it's a very different kind of place, and they take to commerce, and they have some resources, and they take to the regime where you have a kind of civic trust, so you respect each other and their right, and each other's rights. And they're not run by a dictator. They are, uh, they are run by a, a democratically elected parliament with some fairly significant tribal interests, uh, and so, Dr. Morrissey, that, that sort of confounds Machiavelli. Is Machiavelli wrong, or has things changed since he wrote this? Um, well, Machiavelli is wrong. Uh, there, there's something in human nature that Machiavelli doesn't see, and that is what uh, Aristotle and the classics and also the Bible see, which is that there's something good about people, and that sometimes if you give them an opportunity, they can take it. They can take it and govern themselves. Uh, the Kurds, uh, the Kurds could do that. By the way, I'm smiling about John Agresto. I knew John Agresto when he was about 24 years old, and he was a young instructor at Kenyon College. Wore denim and had long hair. Well, he still wears <laughs> denim. He still has long hair. It's gray. And and I was his lawyer, which was a burden. That was a great burden to be his lawyer at the National Endowment for the Humanities. But but I'll conclude this way. Uh, by asking Dr. Ron the very easy question: What should we do about Iraq? If you were the president, what would you do? Well, I'd focus on Kurdistan. I would help anybody who's friendly uh, by indirect means, probably. And I would, uh, you know, the Machiavellian thing to do is to cause some trouble for those guys who are stirring up so much trouble there, and there are ways to do that. Uh, and, you know, you, you commit. One of the re- Churchill wanted, Churchill thought that Britain, you know, Ch- Churchill was an imperialist. And Churchill thought that the commitments you make in the empire should be to places where you can have friends, people who will be abiding friends of yours. He thought that, you know, the controversial one is India, but Australia, New Zealand, you know, those are runaway success stories, Canada. And uh, and so, there, you know, he, he wanted the empire to be economically worthwhile for both the colonies and Britain, and he wanted it to produce justice and decency in the places where it was. And so, you know, you, your long-term aims in that area 
are first of all to defend yourself against the people who mean us harm by the by the cheapest, most effective, and sometimes most relentless means, and then second, to look for friends and cultivate them. And and that would mean airstrikes and friends with the Kurds. I think that's what it means. Meanwhile, though. The Shia Iranian National Guard are dispatched to the front lines with al-Qaeda. It's, we'll talk more about this next week as we move into Chapter 6. Professor Morrissey, uh, President Arndt, thank you as always. The Hillsdale Dialogues, all available at hughforhillsdale.com.